can travel anywhere in time and space. And it's mine. Please. Look at this. Go on, say. Most people do. on the outside. Hey, what's up and welcome back to Smaller on the Outside, or as I would like to call it, Pseudocast. The first, the best, and the only Doctor Who podcast that you just can't miss. My name is Dave and I'll be the Time Lord with you this evening and with me as always is Andy, who will be the companion. Alrighty, what's up? What's How's it going? We're now on season seven of of Doctor Who, not Smaller Outside. Right. <laughs> Season 7, Part 1. Part 1, which apparently includes two Christmas specials. <laughs> right, because, I mean, even with that, it's less than half of the of the whole Season 7 situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, all right, so there's two Christmas specials. The first one is called The Doctor to the Widow and the Wardrobe, which is perhaps one of the most blandest Christmas specials that we've had <laughs> in the last few years. I mean, I thought it was fun. It's uh, not... The beginning of it and the end are good. The, the middle is kind of boring, I think. The, the, a lot of this is not really Christmas-themed. I mean, there's snow, which well, is Well, no, the whole, he, the, it's the whole uh, he's there to setting up their, their Christmas celebration. And then it's, they fly home for Christmas, too. So it is. Sort of. But it, it's more Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, which obviously, based off of the title, you know, they walk into a magical world, uh, the boy gets lost, and then the sister and them have to, you know, find him and everything. That's the that's the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe right there. Right. Um, but overall, I don't know. I, I don't get the tree people, like... The, the Groot King and, like, the the mother who downloads the forest into her and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, whatever that was. I, I'm confused. And then there's a robot walking around the forest. And... It's not a robot. It's just it's a, major, it's a giant machine that's there for, like, I think they're drilling or something. I don't know. So, a robot. Um, I don't know. There are interesting things about it. Uh, but for the most part, I didn't super care for it. Probably give it seven stars, uh, just because it's you know whatever you know. You mean seven out of ten? Yeah, seven out of ten, not seven out of seven, because that's not a thing. Well, I mean, you said seven stars. That's kind of Se- strange. Yeah, seven out of ten stars. Sorry, I'm used to my reviewing uh, language. Ah. Because that's what I say, you know, interpreting the stars. I see. Yeah. So seven out of ten. What do you give it? That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> yes, that's fine. Okay. Um, Although Mom uh, said it, that it's one of our favorites, of course. Of course? I don't get it. She, um, she tends to like the ones that other people don't, so. Oh, right. The <laughs> backwards date. Yep. Um, okay, so the first half of season seven, the best way I could describe it is this is the closest that Matt Smith ever got to the, you know, the David Tent specials. Sort of, um, sort of. This a bit. is the closest Matt Smith ever got to those, uh, because they're all individual. They don't really seem to, you know, have their own real purpose or direction. 
um, other than maybe Souffle Girl. Well, that's that's sort of more. That's the whole season arc. Um, but no, it's not inter- It's not talked about in, uh, for yeah, the first not, and the last episode. The Amy, ep- Amy and Rory episodes are mostly just, uh, you know, a farewell to the ponds, basically. And you and you basically knew that from the very beginning of the season, or at least alluded to it. It foreshadowed it. Um, pretty especially much. Especially foreshadowed the crap out of it by uh, angels. Um, what? so yeah. So the first episode here was called Asylum of the Daleks. It's one of the best episodes. Actually, this and Angels are the best episodes of the season. Uh, everything else is like seems pointless. Uh, there's uh, no. I I would disagree with that. Um, I Asylum for sure. I would put uh, the Snowmen uh, and maybe a, a few. Uh, a, I would say Name of the Doctor uh, and. Um, for well, since if we're, we're only talking, talking about, about part one, if we're only talking about part one, then I would say I would say Asylum and Snowman are my favorites. Really, I they there is some good stuff about Snowman. We'll talk about that later, but yeah, um, I definitely love Angels. If you're talking about the whole season, then then uh, there's there's some good there's a, a few good things in the uh, second half, but I think the first half is better overall. Really, yeah. I think I like the second half better, from my recollection. I haven't rewatched it. I would yet, consider. But. I I have a feeling that most of the budget of the season went into this first half. That's probably about accurate because these are like little mini movies. Yeah, these are all uh, very uh, well they're, produced. They're well produced. They look nice and everything. Yeah. The stories aren't always there. Uh, but I, I haven't g- finished uh, part two rewatch yet. But um, from what I can tell, it seems like those are uh, smaller uh, productions. I also want to mention that, for the most part, as far as when I do my uh, ratings of the episode, uh, a lot of the times I put in how memorable the episode is if I remember everything about it and everything. Right. I no longer I can't count that anymore because from this point forward I remember everything. Really? Uh, yeah, because uh, as, yeah, everything before season seven. I sometimes when you ask me if I remember this or that episode, I'm like, uh, somewhat. I, I and, think and, and I it's think it's not really. So. I'm pretty much I remember everything from every episode for for the most part. Well, I would say up to. Uh, well, I don't know because after after season eight, uh, once season eight starts, I haven't rewatched those. So some of that I bet is gonna feel like, oh wait, I forgot this happened. But there's uh, there's one main reason why I remember pretty much from this point forward, and that is that we started this podcast with season seven part B. That's true. Um, and a big part of uh. The importance, I think, of Part B is what happened in Part A, uh, which was introducing Claire and everything. Yes. So it's definitely a uh, a se- season that I I remember the most, and then from here on out, I remember everything. Um, so okay. As far as that goes, I have to stop rating based off of how memorable it is and start rating more on like say how. <laughs> how like much of it i i remember because i know i remember like pretty much everything but if something shows up where i don't remember you know it's like eh, 
Might as well mark that. That's probably important. Um, so that's confusing, but okay. <laughs> that's all right. Everybody else will understand what I'm talking about. Sure. Uh, Asylum of the Daleks is the episode when... Honestly, the doctor... this episode is one of my favorites in the series. It's, it's, it's It was really well done. Pretty pretty big, yeah. Um, and it's had the most, I think, probably the most Daleks ever in, in the series. It was uh, one of the one most point. satisfying, like, uh, after... After what happened at the end of season six, um, and you know you got the whole cliffhanger with Doctor Who, I was like, man, what are, what are they gonna do next season? And this episode did not disappoint for me on that uh, promise. It it definitely made the Doctor Who bit seem a little bit make a little bit more sense. Yeah, uh, because this is the episode where we're introduced to Clara as we. Uh, Referred to her as Souffle Girl. Oswin. Oswin. She uh, calls herself. That's her actual middle name. Not her first. I don't know why she's calling herself by her middle name. Um, well, uh, do you remember why she's there? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I just don't remember why she's calling herself Oswin. I don't know if they specifically answered that, but it's you know it's basically multiple versions of her, so each version's probably just a little bit different. But every other version of her is called Clara. <laughs> we don't know that for sure. We've only we only really see three of them, I believe. All right. I mean, well, we, anyway. we see some of the other ones, but we don't get their whole stories. So mm-hmm. yeah. the importance of this episode is that Clara is meets the doctor and he finds out for the first time that for some reason she's a Dalek and she has her own voice through the speakers, but a Dalek's voice when he sees the actual Dalek. And she's like, at this point he's, he hasn't called her anything yet, but he has said impossible before um, a couple of times. He just never said the phrase impossible girl. Um, but this is one of the reasons why she's impossible. Because there are multiple versions. Yes. Um, and, uh, what she does for him in this episode is she makes, she reprograms the Daleks to forget him. Yes. And when he tells all of them that he's, you know, the oncoming storm, the, the doctor, their, you know, mortal enemy, they all ask Doctor Who. And that's part of, you know, the finale of last season when they actually introduced the idea that it's more than just a name, right? Right. Which they've been asking for years at this point. Now, and they stopped asking when Peter Capaldi started showing up. <laughs> now, when you, uh, when you, after you watched this episode, did you, because I had this on the schedule, but I don't know if you looked at that. Did you watch the Infrarium uh, mini episode? No. Uh, that episode... Um, has the doctor it shows it shows more about the doctor going into uh databases uh and deleting himself from other databases around the universe oh so it's not just clara right it's not just clara doing it but i think clara basically got the ball rolling and then the doctor took that idea and he expanded it by deleting himself from other databases gotcha it doesn't last forever (laughs) no they eventually download it back or whatever they do um so that's a good episode, probably a 10. Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Okay, next episode, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. You know, it had some good visuals as far as the dinosaurs go. That's the thing about this this uh, first 
if 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 it didn't have the production quality, I think this first half of the season would not have been that great. Uh, aside from uh, you know, Asylum and Angels, um, but these vi- the visuals and the production quality definitely raised the bar a bit. And so I think they're a lot more entertaining to watch because they are very well produced. Yeah, that's probably true. And you know, I'll give them an A for effort uh, for trying with. Uh... To make all of those characters diverse and memorable, mm-hmm. um, that's one of the things in this episode. Like I remember the episode pretty well. I did not remember the group. Um, so like Nefertiti and the whatever the dude is from Sherlock that was the uh, apparently uh, like a he's supposed to be the guy in Jurassic Park that says clever girl. Yeah, okay. Basically. That that's that's what the reference is. I never even thought about that. But uh yeah, but obviously from Sherlock. And then the old dude that's uh running the spaceship is the dude who plays the first doctor, uh who will be in the Christmas special this year and he also did it in the uh the biopic of William Hartnell, uh called uh, Adventure in Space and Time. Mm-hmm. Which is very good, <laughs> um, and he, he he looks quite different in this. But I think this is what he normally looks like, since this is what he looks like in Harry Potter, like almost identical. Um, well, uh, the thing is, I I watched this before. I watched that Adventure Space and Time. I I wasn't a Harry Potter watcher either, so I didn't I didn't know him. I knew people recognized him uh, while they were watching the episode. But I didn't, and then when I uh, when I watched Adventure in Space and Time, I did not remember this was the same dude. So when I came back and rewatched it now, I was surprised that wait a minute, that's the guy who's going to be the first Doctor. <laughs> yeah. Um. Other than that, I will say that as far the visuals were nice as usual in the season. Um. Uh, but you know, I hate to say it, but I didn't really care for the story. There were some animatronic uh, dinosaurs, not just CGI, too. Right. Um, I would say what's interesting about this episode is Chris Chibnall, you know, the guy that's taken up for, for after uh, Stephen Moffat goes, he wrote this episode, and he also wrote the the, the Silurian two-parter um, from season five. Mm-hmm. And I think this feels sort of like a like a sequel to that in a way. Like this, the Silurians that were in that that two-parter, I think those are the ones that went on this ship, because that, old, that uh, old dude Silurian guy was on this TV screen, and it looked like it was probably the same guy to me. Then again, Silurians, a lot, they use a lot of the same actors for those. So mm. it, could, it might not be, but since they're both Chris Chibnall, to me, it feels like that's probably what this is supposed to be, sort of a sequel to that. Also, I guess it's possible. What's also interesting um, is... Um, Oh, never mind. That, let me let me mention that on the next one because that's not this one. Okay, this episode <laughs> uh, I'll probably get I'll, I'll probably get six four because I'm not gonna rate an entire episode based completely on like visuals and stuff like that because I didn't really care that much for the story. Um, and then the group, like I said, I didn't really remember. I remember being entertained pretty well by it, but. Uh... Yeah, I would say in the grand scheme of things, maybe a six would be okay. I might, I might round it up to a seven though. I don't know. All right. So the next episode is called "A Town Called Mercy." 
which deals uh, with a gunslinger. Uh, and a western, like a futuristic western type episode. Strangely enough, this uh, I believe this episode was actually filmed in uh, Spain. Spain? From, from what I recall about the making of the episode, I believe they did. They filmed it in Spain, not in America. All right. Uh, that's just weird. Uh, but, I, I mean, they don't always go to America to film something. They did so. film America for Angels, which right. would be hard to do otherwise. But. So, not a whole lot important about this episode either. Um... I like the story more than I did with dinosaurs. Okay. Uh, but not that much more. So I'd probably give it seven, but it's like, I don't know. I like, I like the idea and how it was done with the Western, uh, side of things and having it be the protector by the end of the episode. And that's all fine and dandy, but, you know, I like the fact that he got to wear a Stetson again, you know? Right. Yeah, this episode is kind of forgettable for me. Yeah. I would probably do this one a six myself. You would give this one a six? Yeah. I, I kind of, I, I don't know. When I first saw the dinosaurs, I wasn't a big fan of it. Um, I was okay with this, so I'd probably give this a seven, just in general. Uh, Power of Three is the next episode. Uh, and this is the episode with the black cubes. It's also written by Chris Chibnall. Is it as well? Yes. You know, this this brings up an interesting fact that I saw when I was watching a, a video that somebody was, like, uh, criticizing Chris Chibnall. <laughs> and uh, one of the things they mentioned is that pretty much every episode he's written on the show includes a countdown of some kind. Has it? Um, let me... I know the countdown on Power of Three. Okay, let's go through the... Through the uh, yeah, let's go through the list here of his episodes. 42 was the first one. That was the one when they were on the spaceship with Burn With Me, mm-hmm. and that sort of has a countdown to when they're going to crash into the sun. Uh, then you have The Hungry Earth and Cold Blood. That was the two-part uh, Silurian episode that has mm-hmm. a countdown until the Silurians are going to um, come up to the surface or a countdown to when the drill is going to uh, go through the Silurian base. Then you have Pond Life, and that's not, I mean, you would call it a, did you watch Pond Life, by the way? We didn't mention that. No, I don't think I did. Okay, well, Pond Life is sort of a countdown to the beginning of Season 7. That's, and then Dinosaurs on a Spaceship has a countdown until the uh, the, the missiles are going to hit the ship. And then Power of Three has a countdown until the cubes uh, open. Make their attack. So, well, pretty that's, much every that's interesting. That I, yeah. I, I thought you were going to say pretty much every episode that he's done has just been okay. <laughs> uh, in, uh, let's see. I think you would say that. Um, I like 42 the best out of them. I know you didn't care too much for that one. I didn't really care too much for it, and I read people online on the forum saying that they hated it, so I don't know. I really enjoy that one. I thought it had some really good acting from uh, from uh, David Tennant, and and uh, it it was a good like uh, I like the I actually like the countdown element on that one because it seemed like a, a decent threat. Okay, well let's see. 
And Power of Three uh, has more of the idea of Amy and Rory, you know, not being with the Doctor anymore. Uh, you're either thinking at this point they're going to die or, you know, or just not you just be with know the Doctor. You know they're going away. They're leaving. Even if you weren't spoiled by them getting a new companion with Clara, that would have spoiled I mean, the story alone is basically very obvious uh, foreshadowing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, the cube things, it's just, I don't know. It's an uh, interesting mystery, I think, uh, and how each one, you know, learns, does something else, and everything is also somewhat interesting. I will say something I really like about Dinosaurs on a Spaceship and Power of Three is Rory's dad. Rory's dad is interesting. He's always yeah, kind of I like funny. his character. He's like, you've been in here for four days. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Are you eating anything? Um, (laughs) Well, it is a TARDIS, so maybe time goes by different. Maybe time is bigger on the inside, too. (laughs) (laughs) All right, whatever that means. Um, Interesting enough. This episode also, The Power of Three also introduced Kate Stewart. Yes, Kate Stewart. That's who was important aspect to the to those who's series. Her dad, uh, the brigadier, brigadier Lethbridge Stewart. He started with the second Doctor and went all the way through the entire classic series. I believe. I don't know if he was with the sixth or seventh Doctor, but all the way at least to the fifth. Okay, so that's the brigadier's daughter. All right, and he also showed up in one of the Sarah Jane episodes as well. The brigadier. Okay. What do you think of this episode in general? Um, I think in terms of character, it, it's pretty good for uh for the you know the main characters, but story is kind of weak. Uh, it yeah. does introduce something that could potentially have some uh, impact in the uh, oncoming seasons. The Shockery, uh, the main villain at the end of this episode, they basically suggest that this is some kind of thing that uh, the Doctor thought was just some Time Lord fairy tale that. It, but then it turns out you know, that there are these actual uh, thing. I don't know what exactly what they were, but they seem to have some kind of really mystery to them, and they still haven't sh- they haven't shown up again. So I'm wondering if Chris Chibnall might bring them back for his series. I guess that's possible. Usually, since he, um, he essentially invented these guys, uh, and he added a pretty dis- decent uh, level of mystery. A lot of people dismiss that because he never, because the shocker never showed up again. But if they do, I think that could make this episode more significant. I think, as far as everything goes, I think it was good with the characters. I think that, as far as mysteries go, along with the chakra or whatever, and the and the cubes and everything they did, is also something that's interesting. Story itself is. It's more character oriented than it is anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I I'd say seven. I don't I don't think there's anything super wrong with it or anything. Right. Um, okay. So what's the, the one of the more in, uh, important things that did you watch uh, the PS uh, mini episode that comes after Angels? No. Uh, if you haven't seen it, you should you should definitely check that out. Uh, I'll talk about that in a minute, but um, that uh, was written because in this episode, Chris Chibnall wrote this episode, and he he saw that they were 
uh, you know, leaving Rory's dad, and um, and he knew that by the end of Angels that they were not going to be coming back. And so even though he wasn't writing Angels Take Manhattan, he decided to write an epilogue to that called P.S. Uh, and so definitely watch that if you have not seen it. It's, uh, it's sort of uh, provides a little I, bit of... I probably of- saw it at one point in time, but I didn't watch it this this last this rewatch session. Yeah, it, it provides a little bit of closure for Rory's dad, basically. Hmm, okay. Um, all right, so... Now we are brought to the Angels Take Manhattan. Um, now, it's kind of, this season, or this half season rather, it kind of works like a typical X-Files series season, uh, where you have your individual like episodic, episodic, whatever you want to call it, um, episodes that don't have a, a huge stronghold on any kind of overarching plot, but they have the first episode and the last episode, which are important. Right, and and the thing about uh, seasons, I mean, you could say that about a lot of the seasons of Doctor Who, really, because ultimately a lot of them are standalone. But the thing about the standalones is they were usually they usually had some really good qualities to them. Uh, some of these, aside from production quality, some of these uh, first ones aren't you know all that memorable. Uh, they, I did enjoy them more on rewatch than I did the first time I watched them, um, but that's a problem I have with season seven, and that's the whole the whole season, not just part one too, is there's a lot of standalone episodes that um, that really are kind of very forgettable, like to, to the degree that it's okay, it, like I said, it's okay if there's a standalone if there's you know something really memorable or something really good about the episode. And there was a lot of that in, like, season six, for example. Um, but, like, the doctor's wife or whatever. Yeah. Um, but in this season, a lot of the standal there's almost everything except for, a, like, two, maybe four episodes are standalone. And uh, maybe five. And then, but, uh, but they aren't very memorable most of the standalone in this season. So that's, yeah. that's the problem I have with this season. Uh. So I think, I think a lot of that stems from the idea that Stephen Moffat didn't want to do any more two-parters at this point. Yeah, and that, that's so you fine. Up, like you, you can, that, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. But when you do that, you have to come up with more stories. The more yeah, stories you, you come up with, the less interesting they're probably more, going to be. <laughs> more stories, um, but also some kind of overarching plot that I don't know. There was, there was always that, you know, Amy and Rory didn't feel like they were permanently back. So there was that, and then there's the the, the Impossible Girl uh, as the main season plot too. So there is that. The okay, so Angels Take Manhattan is another obviously Weeping Angels story. Takes place in America. Uh, Filmed in America too. (laughs) And filmed in America. Got some interesting things happening for it. Um, as this was the final episode for Amy and Rory. Um, I, I, I don't think it was the most threatening I think I've ever felt from the Weeping Angels. No. But uh, it was interesting to see the Statue of Liberty be a Weeping Angel. Uh, 
Yeah, that is a. I mean, a little bit of a jumping the shark area there. But a little bit, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's funny, but obviously, the Statue of Liberty would not be able to move if it was a weeping angel because there's always somebody watching it. <laughs> yes, but this was also like almost a alternate reality of sorts. It kind of felt like that. They yeah. said that you know they're using. Not just the building for New York, but all of New York, because all of New York statues, it's using the city that never sleeps as a battery farm uh, and everything. So in that case, it was like an alternate reality, especially since they created some kind of paradox, you know, paradox which righted everything back to normal, uh, which kind of dissolved the... Uh, alternate timeline, which they apparently they are sent back to at the end. Um, I don't know how it works. because Yeah, that got part rid- is a little confusing, because if they erase the paradox, that angel should not have shown up at the at the graveyard. But The only didn't. thing that the angel should have been able to do is send them back in regular time. Right. Well, I uh, think... It, yeah, I don't know exactly what happened there. I think it did send them back in regular time. But there, but because they uh, created that paradox in the first place, that time was basically off limits for the TARDIS anyway. No, that's weird. Um, okay, so I think for the most part, it was it was tipping off to the idea that they would just do another paradox, which they they were saying would cause New York to explode or implode or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I don't know. Um, but that's, that's whatever. Um, good episode, though. I, this is one that I would probably give, uh, a 10 to, a 9 or a 10, I don't know. Um. I would probably do 9, but it's a high 9. It's almost a 10. Uh, but it, it, it falls a little bit short of that for me. It, emotionally, it's definitely a 10. Uh, <laughs> um. There's some good acting moments, too, like when the Doctor's reading the chapter titles and stuff. Oh, yeah, the chapter titles are, are a big one. Yeah, I really um, like that. It's it's definitely a very important episode. But Talking about uh, creating, you know, fixed time and things like that, that's that's in there. But sure. it doesn't quite reach the the quality of some of the other tens I like, so... For me, I, I'd say it's probably a nine. It's very... It's, it's, it's close to a ten, but it doesn't quite hit it for me. I probably would say 10 for it. Um, so that's that. The second Christmas special, and the last episode we're going to be talking about, is The Snowman. Um, and The Snowman is about Frosty the Snowman. <laughs> it's about the great intelligence. Played it's about by... Gandalf. Gandalf. Yeah. Um, Mom thought it was Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Yeah, they have totally the same voice. <laughs> Except for the fact that it's a different X-Men character. Yes. Alright, so, uh, the Snowman reintroduces us to Clara. Yep. Um, now, I don't know if everybody else, when they were watching it for the first time, remembered if it was Oswin from the first episode. Um, I did. I know I did, but I don't know if anybody else caught it until the very end. I no, I I I definitely did. I I uh, didn't know that she was gonna be the new companion uh, when I was watching Asylum. Oh, but when see, she suddenly I, that showed was up one again, of the, that was one of the spoiler news. Yeah. One of the first ones I ever saw was you know uh, her Claire as a new. 
I knew the there was going to be a new companion, but I didn't know it was going to be her. I think I remember saying when I watched uh, Asylum, I was saying that if uh, if there was going to be a new – I think I, when I was watching, I was thinking this w- this person would make a, a good companion, and then they die. I was like, oh, okay, that's not then. <laughs> so a couple of interesting things here. Um, Claire dies again, um, just to give you the point that she can die twice, different time periods, and she keeps on, keeps on living somehow. Another thing is she asked the doctor if he's controlling the weather, right? And he said controlling the weather is controlling silly. the wind. <laughs> controlling the controlling the wind is something he can do, but not the weather or something like that. It's uh yeah we also got the new TARDIS we got uh and other uh, uh notice, notable for this episode is this is where we got our podcast name. Yes, this is the this episode introduces the idea or the the title of Smaller on the Outside and we started Smaller on the Outside on the very next episode so the first episode of uh, the second part of the season. Are you still uh, including the same uh, intro music at the beginning of the uh, podcast? Episode, yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Because because that that clip that you include in that intro is is from this episode. That's where we got the name. It's yep. when, when Clara instead of saying it's bigger on the inside, she says smaller on the inside. Smaller on the inside. Um, Although she does say uh, bigger on the inside in the next one. Now, okay, later on in the episode, it like it rains because Claire is crying, right? Uh, is that why? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, which means she's controlling the weather. <laughs> okay. Like he said, controlling the weather is silly. Um, but that's what she does because she's also impossible. She is. Um, so you don't you don't really know to the real extent of who she is or what she is or why she's inside of a Dalek or why she can control the weather, why she keeps dying but still has the same name and everything. Another uh, another interesting thing about this episode is that it brings back Strax and uh, Madame Vastra and Jenny, uh, which have just returned from uh, Demon's Run. Uh, if you watch, there's a couple of uh, there's actually three episodes that take place between Demon's Run and this one, mini episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is Battle of Demon's Run two days later. It shows why Strax was not in fact dead when they thought he was dead in that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, um, what's it called? there's the great detective, but there's another one too. Um, yeah, what was it called? Uh, I don't remember, but there's, there's another one, uh, with Madame Vastra where it's basically showing that she's, uh, she's, you know, doing her own investigations. And then there's the one called the great detective, which is, uh, talking about, the doctor uh, being retired. Those three, those three mini episodes basically uh, bridge the gap between the, the uh, Good Man Goes to War and this episode. Gotcha. And then those characters can uh, come back uh, m- many times uh, between uh, Matt Smith and Capaldi. Now this episode also had a lot of uh, good lines, I think, especially from Strax. Mm-hmm. Um, now. Are you giving this a, a, a ten? Yeah, I think so. Uh, there's this another. One... There's another important thing about this episode that you would not have caught. Um, the great intelligence. Um, he, at the end, they say something about uh, the, 
the great intel- intelligence now knowing that the uh, the London Underground is a strategic uh, something about that. I don't remember exactly what it said, right? Yeah. Uh, the thing is, uh, the second doctor uh, encountered the, uh, the great intelligence. Um, first, he just encountered them like up, I think it was up in a, a mountain with with uh, Yeti <laughs> instead of snowman Yeti. Yeti. Uh, no, I think they're robot Yeti. But then the second time he encountered the Great Intelligence, it was in the London Underground, uh, with with the same robot Yeti again. But um, it was also the first episode the Brigadier showed up. Gotcha. So it, it it's kind of a prequel to that, in the same way that that uh, that Mars Mars episode from the last season is a prequel to other uh, as well. Gotcha. Um. You give it ten. I I'd probably just give it nine. Okay. But I think for the most part we've had like opposite but equal ratings all the way through the season, so we probably have the same score for this the first part of the season. The funny thing is, I I consider Asylum and the Snowmen as Clara's best episodes. Would you agree? What ever? Yeah, ever. I I can't say I need to rewatch them still. Okay. I, yeah, I might I may change totally on that, like that by the end. Um, there's some good stuff with Capaldi at the end too. Um, but uh, I would say those are the ones that show off the the biggest potential of her that her character had that I don't think the series quite reached uh, as it could have. Because when I was watching Asylum of the Dogs, I was really excited for her character. I, thought I like the I like the season finale with her and she, the beginning where she says she's falling through time and you don't know what the heck's going on. Yeah, that's a good one too. That's a good one. But in terms of like acting and uh, character writing, uh, I think these two episodes really do the best job of showing what her character could be. I don't, yeah. I don't think the regular episodes quite uh, held up to that. Gotcha. All right, so I guess that's that for this uh, this episode. Um, just the first part of season seven. Yeah, it was going to be a short one anyway because there was only, what, uh, six episodes? Yeah. The next one we're going to have more. Um, let's see. The next episode is on the 11th. We're going to record that on the 11th, and that's Season 7 Part 2 and the 50th Anniversary. That includes, um, let's see, 12 episodes. Okay, so that's basically a season. Wait, no, that's ten. Why did it say twelve? Oh. Oh, I, I was looking at I was looking at Excel at the Excel sheet, and apparently it's counting the blank ones as episodes. So, um, ten episodes. Ten episodes. Okay, and that's in two weeks. Okay. Yeah, two weeks. All right. So. Not next week, but the week after, we'll be talking about um, Season 7 Part B and the 50th Anniversary Special, correct? Right. All right. So, mark your calendars, boys and girls. Um, that's when we'll talk about those things. you have anything else to add? Uh, we're, uh, we were recording the podcast late. <laughs> yep. So what? All right, so... <laughs> I was busy. Um, apparently, I didn't watch enough episodes last 
night, so whatever. Um, so we'll see you guys in a couple weeks. The small on the outside. My name is Dave, and I was the Time Lord. And uh, I'm Andy, and and now you can actually go back to the very beginning, the smaller on the outside, and listen to those podcasts. <laughs> Which is, that's right. We've come full circle. As full circle. If you want to listen to our podcast episodes of each uh, individual episode from here on out, you can start at the very beginning of Smaller on the Outside because that'll take you back. Um, but we'll be. I believe for those our... you have. Do you have to go to Podomatic? Uh, you have to for go. the links. Or how does uh, that work? Yeah, 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 yeah. You can go to you can go to the website for the links. Um, but you can also. Well, the feed just... does the feed still show the old episodes that have been archived? No. So how do they get to them? They have to go to the website, which has that links that go to the archive dot org. And that's on and that's on Podomatic. Yes. Okay. Um, I actually have. Some of them on our Potomac profile. I have some archived or I have some streaming embedded on there, so people should be able to listen to a couple, a few seasons on there at least. Okay. Straight off of Potomatic. Um, other than that, uh, Andy was the companion, and the person you hear in the background is uh, K Nine. I, I I guess the robotic nine, <laughs> robotic dog. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what else to call it. The, uh, <laughs> Strax. Uh, something. <laughs> I don't that's, know. The TARDIS? Hilarious. Yeah, there you go. The TARDIS. You hear the person in the background is the TARDIS with a soul. <laughs> I guess. Um, we'll catch you guys in a couple weeks. Peace out. Peace out. <laughs>